0: What does motion sound like? With Hands free shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com/socks. Hey, everybody, it's Jim Mallard here. Welcome to the Mallard Report. The Mallard Report is recorded in front of a live virtual audience on the duck pond Tuesday nights, 9 p.m. Eastern, live. Mallard.com. M-A-L-L-I-A-R-D.com. One more thing before we start, let me turn it over to my friend that you may know from Ancient Aliens and Curse of Oak Island and many other things, Robert Clotworthy. On the Malliard Report, the views, thoughts, and opinions expressed on the show are solely those of the hosts and guests, and not necessarily of Evergreen Podcasts. KillerPodcast.com, sponsor or affiliate, or any other individual or group. On the Malliard report, the views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in the show are solely those of the hosts and guests, and not necessarily of Evergreen Podcast KillerPodcast.com, sponsor or affiliate, or any other individual or group. Good evening. Free strangers find themselves moving in different directions, themselves pulled from a small town in the middle of Ohio, a force reeling reeling them in, like a needle drawn on a compass to the north. Powerless, they stray from a pending convergence where they must take a stand in the battle versus good versus evil. But what is, what happens when the worst evil wears the face of good? When life is the blood of the macabre tale of freedom, love, and humanity, a must read novel, novel of the year, even by Daniel Bouts coming uh, February, 2023. My guest tonight well, Daniel Bell's will be coming on in February, so be staying tuned for him, but uh, get this other screen open. Need one more screen. My guest tonight is T- Tanner Campbell, the philosophy lighter and podcaster. Tanner focuses on bringing the philosophy philosophy of stoicism out of the pages of history and modernizing it to a more practical and useful way of individuals living today. Campbell is the host of Practical Stoicism and the author of "Living Well: Stoic Ideas for a Better Life. We welcome Tanner Campbell to the Mauer Report. How are you doing tonight, Tanner?
1: I am doing terrifically, and I appreciate you having me. This is a very nice treat.
0: Yeah, it, it's nice to catch up with an old... I I, I want to say you're an old friend, but we kind of never really talked about stoicism, so I'm excited to kind of <laughs> dig into that. So, okay. Hold on, let's do this one. Let's get after it, duckpondshop.com. Okay, so help me out here. What, What is stoicism? For, I mean, I kind of just read a little bit in the bio there, but...
1: Sure. So, we're, so we're all playing
0: with the same, same card.
1: Stoicism is an ancient Greek philosophy founded in 300 BCE by a guy named Zeno of Citium, uh, who was on his way from Cyprus to Athens to sell a bunch of really expensive purple dye. And as he was on his way to do that, he uh, was shipwrecked. A big storm came and wrecked his whole life and he was sitting there at the port of Athens having presumably floated in on a barrel of some kind from the aftermath of the wreck uh, and he was thinking man i really haven't i'm penniless now and i haven't really thought about what i do next and if all my money is gone and i don't have a a business anymore what's the meaning of life and so he goes to the oracle of delphi and he asks her he says what am i supposed to do and she says take on the pallor of the dead And anybody who knows anything about the Oracle of Delphi will know that she speaks in riddles and doesn't tell you exactly what she means. Um, so Zeno is then sent to figure out what exactly is meant by this cosmic truth that she has, that she's (laughs) given to him. And he determines that what she means by that is to take on the complexion of the dead, which is a very, you know, a pale white color. And in those times, the people who were pale were the people who were reading books and they were, inside reading books or in the shade reading books. They certainly weren't people who were doing trade on the seas and would have been very well tanned from being outside all the time. And so he decides that he's supposed to become a philosopher. Uh, And he meets a guy. I don't think we need to go into this, but he meets a guy who he becomes the understudy of and winds up founding the philosophy of stoicism, which is all about how to do the right thing, how to live a good life, how to develop a resilient character and it's really the, the thing it holds, not just as the highest good, but as the only good, is the development of a virtuous character. So Stoicism is all about building a virtuous
0: character. So I'm going to drop back for a second. Um, we, were, we were joking before we started about podcasting and the lack of funding, but uh, 300 BC, uh, CE, there had to be no money in philosophy either.
1: <laughs> no, there was no, there's definitely, there's definitely I'm drawing parallels here. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it is true that there were probably some philosophers who were paid fairly well. I'm not a historian, nor will I pretend to be. Uh, sophists and philosophers did exist in, for example, ancient Rome later on, uh, who were quite respected and probably had, you know, some kind of decent money. But when we think of, uh, when we think of philosophers, we mainly think of people like Diogenes, who is homeless. He, drinks with his hands out of puddles. He throws excrement at people and judges them. And, you know, that's cynicism. Uh, And we think of, yeah, we think of the philosophers as being, you know, not well-to-do people because that's not what they're concerned with. They're not concerned with making money or owning things. Or It's kind of, I think, what we like about them, even in the modern day. For those of us who do like them, uh, who do like philosophers, we like them because they seem to be after something greater than just physical possessions and status.
0: So take okay. So he he starts to develop this now. Does it int- instantly take hold, or is this something that kind of takes a while for people to catch on to? Or I mean, because we're talking two thousand years later. Now we're still talking about it, but
1: yep. And perhaps the best known person in stoicism, the per- the person to take it on and be become kind of the poster boy of it. I think we can think of him as is the Emperor Marcus Aurelius, who reigned, I want to say, between 160 and 180 AD. So even that's quite some time after 300 BCE. Uh, And it's still hanging in, like you say. Um, So I would say that it caught on fairly quickly. Again, I'm not going to pretend to be a historian, um, but we have to imagine the kind of world that existed for the ancient Greeks, what was going on in that time. And people were probably looking for a way to be resilient, to live a good life, uh, and to know exactly what to do with themselves. So I think all manner of philosophy was pr- probably caught on pretty quickly. <laughs> Most of our philosophical traditions come from ancient Greece.
0: Yeah, I was going to say that, that's the one thing they've left well for us is, I mean, even like between the, the mythology and the, they've, they were creatures of deep thought, which makes me, Wonder sometimes what I'm doing with myself, but that's a whole other can of worms.
1: <laughs> well, you know, a guy's got to eat. We got to work.
0: So, okay, what got? Where Where did you cross paths with this then?
1: I used to run a podcast called the No God Cast, uh, which is kind of ironic given the productions that I created in podcasting after that, uh, and it was a it was a very popular show. Uh, had hundred thousand downloads a month. Which at the time, 2013, 14 was, was, was really quite impressive. At least I thought. And it was a long form conversation podcast. I really liked doing it because I got to have what I maybe didn't realize were philosophical discussions at the time, but that I understood were intellectual discussions. And I was the kind of guy who liked having intellectual discussions. Some of us are just geared that way. We like to, you know, contemplate our. Belly button lint, I think is what my dad used to say. (laughs) Naval gazers is what my dad used to call people who were philosophers. And some of us just enjoy that. We're just geared that way. And at the time I was running that podcast, I was running a business that it was really the first time I had run a media business. It was the first time that I had people working for me. And I had been a business owner before, but I had always been a solo business owner. And something that I learned about myself in being a business owner with employees and contractors was that I wasn't a good employer. I wasn't a good boss. I, I really expected people to do things that were probably not fair to expect. You know, when you're the owner of a company, you work very hard because you're the owner. You've got a lot of skin in the game. It's not really fair to expect the employees who you're paying far less than the cut that you get as the owner uh, to to be as committed as you are, to work as long hours as you are, to be as flexible with their time. I, you know, pick up your phone at 3 a.m. because I'm calling. And I really was that kind of terrible boss back then. And the company failed as a result of that, taught me a lot of really difficult lessons, and eventually put me in the headspace of, I've got to be different than I am because I really like doing this media stuff, and the way you're successful in it is usually you work with other people, and I've got to learn how to work with other people if I'm going to lead other people, or I'm not. I'm never going to be able to make it. And so I came across, probably not for the first time, but for the first time in earnest, I came across uh, Epictetus and his discourses and his Enchiridion, and then also Marcus Aurelius's meditations, which we talked about Marcus a moment ago. And I really started to delve into that text. And it was a very difficult thing for me to do because at the time I'm an atheist. And atheists are, you know, they don't believe in God. And there's a lot of providence and God talk. And it's not the same kind of God talk that one gets at a you know, Baptist church in the South or something. It's a very different concept. It's more like a naturalist view of God, if, if there could be such a thing. And I had a real hard time with the text because of all that kind of God talk. But I pushed through it because I perceived that it had More value in it if I could just ignore the God talk, right? It it had important lessons for me and I'll just set this God stuff aside and I'll get the practical elements out of it. And that was, that's how I came to, came to the text in the first place. And I, I read a a book by a woman named Sharon LaBelle. She makes this great 100 page, 120 page, maybe easy read paperback called The Art of Living. And just a couple of months ago, maybe a few weeks ago, I got the pleasure to Interviewer on, on practical stoicism, and it was a real dream come true for me because Sharon Labelle was the first person to put, for me, the texts of Epictetus and Marcus Aurelius into a modern wrapping. And and by modern, I don't mean that she misrepresented the text. I mean that she just used plain, common modern day language to replace some of the dated language, and it instantly changed. It 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 took away all of that reservation I had, not because the God talk wasn't there anymore, but because she, she just framed it in a way that made it easier for me to say, okay, God's part of this philosophy, and I need to make a decision. Either I'm going to walk away from this philosophy entirely, regardless of its benefit, because of this God thing, which seems childish to me, and as it happens, <laughs> fairly unstoic. Uh, or I'm gonna just accept that perhaps there is a way for me to come in the future to, to view God in a way that doesn't violate what I feel is my current stance on belief in a higher power. And I, I have actually been able to do that. You know, this is the first time I'm talking about this publicly, but I still consider myself to be an atheist in the same ways that I did back then. Uh, but I, but I do believe in the Stoic God, which seems almost like those are, <laughs> that's a very contradiction in Uh, In explanation, it seems like it would be be impossible for me to say that, but the Stoics view God as nature, and more specifically, they view God as an animal. And by that, I don't mean that they view him as like a panda in the sky (laughs) uh, or something like that, and they wouldn't even call it him. They would call it it or logos or nature or the universe. Uh, It is like a zebra is a type of animal. And the Stoics would say, well, the universe is a type of animal. And so we are all part of that type of animal, that universe. And it's a very, if you try to look at what it means to be alive, if you look up the scientific explanations of that and you look up the scientific explanation of what an animal is or what a mammal is, you can, with fairly relative ease, make the case that the universe actually could be classified as an animal by modern science. I actually did that recently with an article that maybe I can give you and you can put in your show notes. Um, and I'm planning on doing that to a hopefully more effective degree some, sometime in the future. But it's, it's been a wild journey, um, to start as an atheist who you know, believed in no God whatsoever to become somebody who can say <laughs> on someone's <laughs> podcast that they believe the universe is an animal and be uh, prepared to take whatever guff is going to come from such a statement. Um, but yeah, all that is part of stoicism.
0: But you mentioned the book. I, I hate to go here because this you want some guff. Here it comes from me. Mm-hmm. We you talked about how they she updated the books and updated mm-hmm. the writings. Well, I mean the Bible's been done has had that had done dozens, air quotes, mm-hmm. hundreds of times through the mm-hmm. years. So it's not nothing new of religious texts. I know you're trying to ease out of the religious part of that, but I'll just double down into it. And sometimes it does. I mean, because I'm thinking about the King James version of the Bible right now. I can't stand it to save my life, right? I don't want to hear it. I don't want to see it. I don't want to read it. But it's all the same. It's just ye and yah and all the, you know, the stuff that nobody says today. And you're sitting there processing it at a different level because you're trying to think, well, what does that mean? And then by the time you catch up and yeah, it gets ugly. But when it's wrote semi modern, so to speak, it speaks to you in a way that, well, we're speaking now.
1: Yeah, I think I would agree. I think I would agree with that. Uh, I would draw a difference between Abrahamic religious faiths and Stoicism because this is a very in-depth conversation and one that I am perhaps not even equipped to be able to lead. But there is no, for example, there's no physical being that is the god of Stoicism. There is no praying to the god of Stoicism unless in the very rare instance you are Epictetus who... For some reason, does use that language. He's one of the the only Stoic scholar to use the term "pray," and we're not exactly sure how he meant it when he said it. But we, you know, we give him the benefit of the doubt that he meant what it sounds like he meant. But he's the only Stoic philosopher who does that. Uh, and there's no supernatural element to Stoicism, which I think was the that was the really difficult thing for me to grasp as an atheist was that when when an atheist hears the word God, there's a lot of baggage with the word. Yeah. Um,
0: Oh, obviously. And it's Especially yes. as an atheist. And it's,
1: it's unavoidable. Uh, and it sounds strange. It even sounds strange still today when I say it, that the Stoic God does not violate the idea of not believing in God because the Stoic God is not what any other philosophy or religion and Stoicism is not a religion. I feel it necessary to to, to say that sternly. Stoicism is not a religion. It It is not a God like what other people call God. And to And it's unfortunate (laughs) that we use the word because of all the baggage that's associated with it. I'm not entirely sure that, because I don't read uh, Greek, I'm not entirely sure that the original word was God. It might have been something more like, well, they use the word logos, and they use the word nature, and I think that there may be something to the idea that the word that we use to say God now is not the word that they use that we interpret as God today from the original text. But I don't want to sound too certain on that because, again, I don't speak or read Greek.
0: Well, I know somebody who does. So let's get circle back to that at some point, but not right now. Obviously, uh, (laughs) you know, I might be able to help you with that, though. Um, So, okay, so you have this conversation now, Tanner, Mm -hmm. you we were talking a little bit ago. I've been doing this for almost. 12 years now. I have a bunch of conversations. Some change my life and some don't. Obviously, you had a conversation that changed your, your outlook. But, I mean, now you've been after it for almost as long as I have been, 10 years. So what? how long did it take you to get the, the gears grinding in, getting into it and wanting to do more of it?
1: Well, I started a podcast almost immediately called Epictetus is My Therapist because I needed to do exactly what that title suggests I was doing with that podcast, which was just to think and talk through ideas, trying to use the Stoic text to, to work through those ideas and problems. And sometimes they were the modern problems of the day. And sometimes they were these time immemorium problems. Like we talk about, uh, pro-life, pro-choice debates. What is, you know, how, what's the right way to answer that? How can we apply, uh, Stoic theories of different varieties to talk about that? And to be quite honest, I was terrible at it. I think I did it for probably, I don't know, 20 or 30 episodes, but, the purpose of that podcast was never to reach anyone or do anything. It was for me to kind of work through really how terrible I was at understanding <laughs> Stoicism and at the time would have been 2014 or so. Uh, and then I moved away from or I got away from Stoicism because I felt like at the time it had given me maybe, and this is before I read Sharon's book, it had given me maybe what, all that it could give me. I wasn't ready to delve further into it because of the reasons I mentioned before. I was still a rather, I wouldn't say militant atheist, but I would say a committed atheist, if that's not an ironic thing to say. I was, was going
0: to say, there sounds like an oxymoron yeah. alert there, but I'll, yeah. I'll, I'm right. not going to interrupt you to say it.
1: <laughs> um, I, well, I interrupted myself. So I I moved away from that and I thought, well, okay, I feel like I've learned something. I don't know how much I've learned, but I feel like I can be better if I try to start a different business. and. And do a different kind of media. But I want to get away from the atheist community because something else that had been happening alongside of these kind of revelations I was having, if you want to call them that, uh, was, and again, that's probably a poor choice of words for an atheist, (laughs) but hey, let let me say my words, uh, was that I noticed, I had an interview with a guy named Ray Comfort, and I don't know if anybody will know that name, but he made a really, really offensive uh, documentary called I think it was called 360 or 180 or something. I think it was 180, and it was all about how atheists were stupid and and it misrepresented a lot of stuff. And I was able to get him on the show, and what I found was that the story of Ray Comfort is actually a really tragic and sad one. But I don't think he views it that way. I remember interviewing him, and I, and I said, "Well, what you know, what made you believe in God?" And he said. You know, I was, he's, I think, I think he said he was surfing in Southern California or something and he was married to his wife at the time. And he said, he thought to himself, I just looked at my wife as she was coming out of the water and I thought, how can it be true that anything so beautiful could ever be taken away? And there's, there's more to the story that I won't share because I, I don't know that it's appropriate to, but, uh, I remember thinking in that moment, how interesting that Ray Comfort has become, has become or started to become the person he became because he was afraid of loss. Uh, and that crossed over with an idea in stoicism about what we call now the dichotomy of control learning what you can and cannot control uh and I won't dive into that because that'll be far longer than you have time for in this podcast but <laughs> well go ahead I'll, I'll just that,
0: hang I'll just hang up and <laughs>
1: <laughs> but but it, but it was uh interesting that he said that at the same time that I was reading about it in stoicism and I and I got a lot of flack for the interview because I presented Ray Comfort as a human being right I wouldn't say I pre- hmm. presented him that way I would say that I treated him that way and the stoic the uh, sorry not the stoic but the atheist community at that time was becoming increasingly intolerant of people being human being imperfect uh, and sometimes that was with good cause. there were plenty of uh, elevator gate for example was something that happened during that time frame uh, sexual harassment at conferences uh, and all that was totally appropriate to be upset about but there was there was more so. Or in addition to anyway, in addition to those other things, there was this rise of, if you're a Christian, you're an idiot. And I was like, that's, I didn't start this podcast to talk about. (laughs) I didn't, I didn't, I don't want to assert my own intelligence. I don't want to call other people dumb. I don't think that's what smart people do. I don't think that's a smart conversation. If that's the kind of content you guys want, I don't want to create in that space anymore because I'm not minded to be that way. I'm not minded to be unkind to people. That's just my my character, I guess. And so when I thought about creating another podcast, I went completely in the opposite direction of anything having to do with the discussion of faith. Uh, and I went to mythology and folklore because I had always had a real love of it for whatever reason. I remember being a kid and my dad reading me from this reading from this old tattered, like leather bound Like the book jacket was leather, which was, I don't think I've ever, I don't think I've seen another book since that had a book jacket that was made of leather and not like cheap plastic or paper. And it was, the it was like Robin Hood or something with all these great old uh, illustrations in it. And, and I had this clock when I was a kid too called grandfather time or grandpa time. And it was a little cassette tape that you would stick in this anthropomorphized clock. And when you set alarms on it, it would play different sections of the tape. And it would say, okay, it's time to brush your teeth. And they'd say, okay, it's time to go to bed. And, and it, would, it would tell you a bedtime story. Uh, and interesting piece of trivia, the guy who did The Voice is the guy who played the bus driver. It took me years to figure this out. And I wanted to hire him, but he had died by the time I figured it out. But uh, the guy who did The Voice is the guy who plays the bus driver in um, Mrs. Doubtfire, who hits on Robin Williams when <laughs> he's in drag or when he's dressed as Mrs. Doubtfire. And I remember finding that out one day and just stopping cooking dinner. And I'm like, that's the voice. That's the voice. Who is that? I looked him up and he had already passed away. And I was like, damn it. Uh, but anyway, I, I started a podcast called Legends, Mist, and Whiskey because I really loved all of those things. And I probably wanted an excuse maybe to uh, to start collecting expensive whiskeys and drinking expensive whiskeys. Uh, and so I started a podcast with my friend Eric DeMott, Legends, Mist, and Whiskey and we did an episode once a week uh, that featured a little bit of chit-chat in the upfront and then a 20 to 30 minute story scored by a gentleman named Nico Vertese, uh who is an extremely talented composer and currently if i'm not mistaken writes all the music for the Magnus Archives i don't know if you're familiar but it's a uh, it's an audio drama that's quite popular i think based out of Canada now based out of California might be wrong about that uh, but he did all the music for it and we just loved doing it we we found these old stories, we rewrote them in kind of the same way that Sharon uh, rewrote uh, Epictetus' Discourses, not to change the content, but to update it a bit so it was easier to tell, so it wasn't like an early modern prose, for example. And then we created these things called mythos symphonies, which is a combination of the word mythos, story, symphony, or phony sound. Uh, and we did they were basically audiobooks but they were audiobooks with full scores. We did one on Beowulf. We did one on Jason and the Argonauts. I mean it was great. We did one on Theseus. And I did that for years, probably for 5 years. And it was not hugely successful, but it was it made me happy and I didn't mind that I was working a full-time job alongside of it. But it was hard work. I mean I don't have to tell you this or anybody who has a podcast that it's usually something you do in addition to your full-time job uh, and finding a way to make a podcast be your full-time job is, you know, it's the dream and it takes a long time to do. And at some point I decide that I'm going to relocate from where I was at the time, which is Florida uh, to new England, to Maine, and lived there for a few years and the podcast didn't make the transition. So I think we retired it in like 2018 and I opened a recording studio in Maine and I did a lot of recording work for other people. Um, Got to meet some really interesting celebrities. Got to, you know, seem like a big deal to myself, I guess. It was kind of cool to meet important people or who I thought were important people and work in the audio space. And I worked with a lot of podcasters. So, for example, Joan London came into the studio. Younger people listening won't know who Joan London <laughs> is, but she's like American royalty as far as I'm concerned. Uh, she came into the studio once and did something for Uh, the Cleveland clinic on COVID. And I remember thinking, oh man, my life has really taken off here. It's really doing some cool stuff and I'm, I'm happy. And then I got this little tinge in the back of my head that was like, I don't know. It's been like, (laughs) it's been like three years since you've done a podcast. Maybe you want to do your own podcast again, but I didn't really know what to do. Um, I started, I tried to start up Legends of Missing Whiskey again under a different name and same people weren't involved. So it just wasn't the same. And I was doing a lot of work for podcast creators. And so I thought, well, maybe I can create a podcast about podcasting, which is how you and I got to know each other. In 20, I, I want to say, what was this, like 2019 or so or 2020, I started a podcast called Good Morning Podcasters. And I started writing pretty regularly in the space to try to teach people how to do what I had been doing for a very long time to make good sound, to be a good editor, uh, to produce, to monetize, uh, to find a way to build a revenue off of the back of your creative output, which at that point I had done in a way that was increasingly popular, but wasn't too over the top. At, the, at that point, I was teaching people uh, to monetize their podcast by creating courses and I was using my studio to host all those classes and to make the money that I made from that. And I don't think I need to talk too much about my money situation. I feel a little bit like a <laughs> heel doing that. Uh, but, but that led to me feeling like, gosh, I'm talking about podcasting a lot. And I don't really, that's kind of lame. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I like podcasting, but talking about podcasting and working in a recording studio and working with podcasters, I have got to do something to get away from podcasting but I really couldn't because it was at that point my bread and butter and COVID was, was active at the time and still, you know, nobody knew how to deal with it. Everything was locked down. My studio was closed for a while too. I couldn't go into it. Uh, and it was, it was, um, it was chipping away at how long I could resist closing up shop. And I was really putting forth, the greatest effort I possibly could to not have to close up shop, but in the second or third year or so, the beginning of the third year, it got me and I realized that it's just, I'm not going to be able to keep this open and I'm going to have to shut down. Uh, And I moved from Maine to Colorado and continued to do some podcasting and really just felt like I wasn't doing anything worthwhile. I mean, I was making money, the money part of the business had mostly survived through a pivot to online courses uh, and online training and some larger clients for consulting work for monetization and growing shows and stuff. But it wasn't as, it wasn't fulfilling and it was too easy. That was a thing I was online courses allowed me to, at this point, and it had now been a few years at this point, I was able to make a pretty fair amount of money with doing a very little amount of work. And I'm a very, traditional i was born in new hampshire i have some of that protestant work ethic built into me even though i was never protestant and it it doesn't feel good to me to make money without doing a lot of work there's something that feels very dishonest about it uh and so i So you started the podcast
0: i got it yeah yeah yeah, right
1: uh so i thought well i've i haven't really been thinking about stoicism for a while I, i really got away from that and i had you know checked in with it every now and then and tried to get back into the text a couple of times and, you know, you're trying to survive COVID, you're running a fairly successful studio business. It's just hard to find the time or it's easy to justify that you can't find the time, right? Maybe it was easy to find the time, but I, I didn't anyway. And so I thought, well, I know if I try to get back into stoicism by reading the text, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna, it's going to be the same problem that it has been over the last few years. It's kind of touch and go and I won't commit to it. But if I start a podcast about Stoicism once a week, that's something I like to do. It's something I feel like I am at this point in how much I had read about Stoicism and at least in a, in a position from an educated standpoint to be able to read Marcus Aurelius's um, meditations and opine a bit on them as to what I think they mean. I think I'm definitely informed enough to do that is what I was thinking. I said, so I'll do that every Saturday. And so January fifth 2022 i started practical stoicism and i never marketed it i never did anything i did for any of my clients or any of my previous shows <laughs> and with no explanation that i can still find it became what very much felt like an overnight success because there was really no effort put into it i would wake up saturday morning i'd read a meditation on on record i'd edit it and then i would like i'd, I'd put it out in the world and by June the podcast was getting like a hundred thousand downloads a month and I was thinking well how did how the hell did that happen and I just kept doing it because I didn't really I didn't want to I didn't want it to go away because I was getting so much positive feedback from young people from people who were like 17 to 30 and this made me feel really good for a couple of reasons um, I'm skipping over a lot of my life, and so this might not make sense as to why I felt this way, but I had watched online masculinity influencers, you know, these kind of, I don't know if you ever heard the term red pill masculinity or anything like yeah, that.
0: Yeah, oh yeah.
1: <laughs> I had seen that for a long time and just been really disgusted by it because I thought it was just, it's this idea of masculinity that is just, it's total bullshit and it's harmful. And I noticed that a lot of the people who would get caught up in it were usually young people. And I didn't start my podcast with this intention, but it felt really good that it seemed like practical stoicism was getting between these this younger generation and these idiots, <laughs> <Right>? these people <laughs> teaching this idea of masculinity, which is total nonsense. And I started to feel really good about, well, I'm getting, I'm, I'm somehow like the I'm somehow the guy they're finding before they find these guys that teach them how not to be good men under the guise of being good men. And as soon as that started happening, I began looking at the Practical Stoicism podcast very differently and looking at it as much more of a responsibility than an outlet. And I attended, I want to say, podcast movement in, I guess it was Dallas in, um, Gosh, when was that? It was just in 2022. Was it August or something? I think. Yeah, I think it was something
0: like that. It was summertime,
1: and I was approached by Glassbox Media, which is at I think glassbox.com or glassboxmedia.com, and they're a podcast network, a relatively new one. They have a they have really good funding. They're they're growing. They're signing podcasts left and right. But I had never heard of them at the at that time. But my friend Gary, who runs the everything everywhere daily podcast which is a history and it's not really a travel show but it's a you kind of travel through history so it's almost like a travel show uh he introduced me to them and we were at the iheart radio party at that event which they do it every, every time they have this event that iheart hosts this big rager and the the owner of the company comes up to me and he's like hey i'm david you know we're all drinking right now it's not the appropriate time to have this conversation but i'd really like to talk to you about your show because i think you'd be a good fit for our network and you've got to understand that as a guy who who had been in recording, who had been podcasting for like more than 10 years at that point and who had worked to help other podcasters be successful and make money but had never really done it for himself outside of podcasts about podcasting, the idea that this podcast that I had created that I put no money into, no effort into, was now so big because at this point I think it had 300,000 downloads a month. It had gotten so big that a network is coming to me at an iHeartRadio party to talk about being part of their network. I'm like, what the hell is going on? Like <laughs> this is this is a very uncommon, a very uncommon situation. And sometimes I think I'm convinced that this is really how it mostly happens for every podcaster that finds success. Is that people say that there's a formula to doing it, but there's really just an X factor, and if you have it, whatever it is, you can never identify it. And if you have it, you've got it. And if you don't, you can't fake it, right? <laughs> you, can't, you can't make it up. As I said,
0: there's some some truth that I believe. Yeah. Well.
1: And so I meet with David in Glassbox. And by October 1st, I was signed to the Glassbox Network. And I now do it full time. And I've gotten to a point where instead of weekly shows, I'm doing daily shows, Monday through Sunday. I've got... um a couple people on my team now. Kai Whiting, who's the author of Being Better, co-author of Being Better, uh, Stoicism for a World Worth Living In. I'm courting his co-author, Leonidas Constant- Constantikos, uh, to come on to the team as well. Eric DeMott, who was that person who started that podcast, uh, Legends, and Whiskey, with me way back in the day. And another woman who I won't name because I'm not completely sure on that yet, Who who's going to bring Buddhism into the picture. And all of a sudden, I'm growing this this family of shows that are all about trying to help people live a better life. And (laughs) I mean, it feels, it feels very surreal because I think if I'm, if I'm looking back at the very first podcast, which is the no God cast having long form philosophical, intellectual conversations, I think that that is what I have always been trying to do. And, and even as you've known me, I've I've worked with indie podcasters and I think I hope you can vouch for this. Otherwise, I'm going to embarrass myself right now. Uh, but I really go out of my way to try to help people who don't see the potential they have. If They can't see that in themselves. I try to help them see it. And the fact that I seem to have always been doing that and it's led me to this point in my life where I'm now doing it on a really big scale. It feels crazy. It, it feels like it's enough to make an atheist think there might be something out there like fate. Uh, and that's, you know, something I'm exploring right now uh, with myself.
0: No, I, I definitely do. I I appreciate that you've answered my questions when I've had them. And I've watched you witness. I've witnessed you answer dozens of other people's behind the scenes publicly on our the podcast power hour and all, all over the place. So, yes, it's. But it's funny because I think you probably share this point of view that I, I always tell people because you know everybody tells you you got a good show, da da da, da, da you know the, all the whole shooting match, right? But I've always told people I've got to put a few people on before I even worry about me becoming famous or doing anything great, right? It's not about me; it's about putting somebody else on. If I can mm-hmm. help somebody else, that's that's great. That's even better than putting myself on. And it seems like you're in the same spot I was. Like you're putting other people on, and now that it's kind of hap- happening for you and it's kind of happened for me, it's kind of like. We're still here. It's like, hey, get in line. We're we're still handing people up.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I think that that it, it struck me as really as soon as I signed with Glassbox, I thought. Honestly, what I felt was guilt. Because within the podcast community relative to philosophy, relative to stoicism, there are a lot of people who know so much more than I do. I mentioned Kai Whiting. I've mentioned Leonidas Konstantikos. I can mention others. Chris Fisher hosts the Stoicism on Fire podcast. And these guys, they know so much more than I do, but they're not a marketer. And I think the, the thing is that i they're not business owners either. And I think my uniqueness is that I'm somewhat educated in stoicism and I'm good at marketing and I'm good at this point. I didn't used to be, which I think I said, uh, I'm good at running a business and I, I view it as almost unfair that I should be the one to find this kind of financial success. Let's call it what it is. Uh, and popularity. Cause I think next to Ryan Holiday's show, I am, I, I hope I'm not wrong in saying this, but I think I'm the second largest show that focuses on stoicism Next to only Ryan Holiday's show, uh, which is called The Daily Stoic. And I think it's, it's, it's unfair that it's me because I'm not the guy who knows the most. And so I view it almost as a responsibility of mine now. All these other very, all these other greater minds than me who can bring so much more benefit to my audience than even, than I can. I feel like it's my job to make them part of it because now I can. I've got the capital to do it. So let's do it.
0: Yeah. Like I said, paying it back and paying it forward and all this other stuff. So, right. Okay, Germantown Run wants me to ask you: Do you believe in extraterrestrials, non-human life?
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I think that the the universe is enormous, and I think that it's probably rare. Right, I don't think it's quite like the Marvel multiverse where there seems to be a living species on every planet they discover. Um, but I think it's unlikely that there's the universe working as it does. This is a stoic concept that the universe is, as uh, we talked about, the universe is an animal. It, it operates in a logical way because that's the only way it can operate in order to exist. And if part of that operation is the creation of the human beings that we know on Earth, then it stands to reason that 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 logical operation would have happened elsewhere. Whether or not we'll ever find them, um, I think, is a totally different story. Um, I have thought about this a a little bit in that I think how advanced we are as a human species and whether or not there are more advanced cultures out there depends on whether or not... I'm probably going to sound like an idiot here, but whether or not we are more or less center to the uh, to the oldest portion or the youngest portion of the universe uh if we're way out on the oldest portion of the universe and we're the oldest species out there it's unlikely that any earlier species cuz the universe is constantly expanding right so if we're on the if we're this if we're the example of humans that exist further out on that plane of an expanding universe if, if we're the ones furthest out, then all the ones are further in and therefore would be younger, I think. And so probably wouldn't be more technically evolved than us. Uh, and if that's the case, I don't think we'll ever meet them. But if we're, you know, if there are people out there who are older than us, then I think they would be more technically advanced than us. And maybe we'll, maybe we'll get to see them someday. Who knows?
0: I was going to say the other side of that's true though, right? If, if we're the, the youngest, we'll meet a bunch. Yeah. I was going <laughs> to say we're, we're in trouble. Uh, <laughs> Shifting Gears, brought to you by evergreenpodcast.com. Shifting Gears, brought to you by evergreenpodcast.com. Okay, so you write a book, Living Well, Stoic Ideas for a Better Life. Where did that fit into this whole mess?
1: (laughs) That is actually, that book is not out yet. That book is currently being co-written by myself and Kai Whiting, uh, who I've mentioned a couple of times now. And it started as, I wanted to do... There's the, there's this great shame of mine, and I, it really shouldn't be, uh, but I feel this way about it. I'm a high school dropout, and I got my GED when I was, I guess I was probably 17, uh, and I got that after coming out of military academy, and I had straight A's in military academy, and when I came out, I just couldn't transition into regular mainstream school. And so I thought, well, I can pass a GED, and I'm already in a position where i'm doing web development such as it was at that time it was you know i was doing like geo cities uh, but i'm but i can make a living uh, i'm 17 and i'm making more money than most people do after their first year out of high school or i was sorry out of college so i mean i could get my gd and who really cares And for the most part that, I mean, that really did work out for me. I was an entrepreneur from Jump Street and just owned a bunch of businesses that mostly all were terrible failures. Uh, and, but, but they got me to pay my bills and, and all that stuff. And, um, I feel today like I understand what it's like to be somebody who's not college educated and try to understand writing from college educated people and I'm, I'm probably not saying this well but I think that there are two kinds of books on stoicism and the first is this really watered down self help hyper modernized very inaccurate from a um academia's point of view, right? I think that's one half of the market. And I think that's the market that Ryan Holiday is in, not to call him out, but, you know, Ryan Holiday is a self-help guy. He doesn't get really deep into the idea of virtue, for example. If you read any of Ryan Holiday's books, he never mentions virtue, um, or, or very rarely, because virtue in the Stoic um, philosophy is you have to have kind of some God talk If you bring up virtue, it's necessary that you would have to have some really in-depth conversation. And Ryan Holiday isn't trying to have those kinds of conversations to keep his successful media empire going, right? And that's that's most other Stoic work is it's self-help and it's not – it really isn't Stoicism in the traditional sense of what Stoicism was. And if you want to know what Stoicism really was, well, then you've got to turn to academia And if you turn to academia, like right now I'm reading a book by a woman named Margaret Graver and it's called stoicism and emotion, which is a 400 page 12 point font, you know, single spaced bear of a read. I can only do like 10 or 20 pages a day because my brain explodes. And that's not, nobody's going to read Graver's book because first of all, it's not a trade publication. And second of all, uh, even if they go and buy it, they're going to get in ten pages into, it, and they're going to be like, "Jesus, this is like a, this is a college thesis." I don't want to read this. This isn't fun or enjoyable, or it doesn't feel actionable. Uh, and I'm sympathetic to the idea that there are people who are looking for a little more than what the stoicism book market seems to give them, self help market seems to give them, and they know it's there, but they but they don't want to get into the to the academic stuff because it's too much. And so the reason that I have titled the the book is kind of a sleeper. I want academia to look at it. and I want them to say, this is the best non-academic work on stoicism we've ever seen. There are some things that aren't totally right about it. But if we were going to recommend this to a lay person, this is the book we'd recommend. None of them even come close. I also want the the general layperson who's interested in Stoicism for the first time to see this book and find it more accessible than any other book out there and more informative, more complete. And when I started doing this, I thought, you know, what this is going to be is it's going to be the 10 basic concepts of, it was going to be a listicle, basically, right? This idea of you could, and I did, uh, narrow down Stoicism to ten basic concepts something like the dichotomy of control uh, I won't never I don't need to list them but and I thought well each one of these pages will be you know each one of these chapters will be 1200 or two thousand words it'll be a 10, 15,000 word book, something like that paperback, easy accessible and I'll just deliver it like that. And then I started mentoring with Kai Whiting uh, who is a professor of philosophy and sustainability at the Catholic university of Louvain in Belgium. And after one session with him, I knew that I was leaving. I knew that I was going to do what Ryan holiday was doing. If I wrote what I was planning on writing that, I thought it was going to be more, but it was just going to be, it was going to be more surface level, not as useful stuff. And I could do better. And, but I wasn't smart enough to do better. And so I kept mentoring with Kai, and the more I did this, the more I picked up on, you know, the idea of, the, of Stoic cosmology, the idea of the Stoic God, the idea of the, the, the ethics of this virtue ethics school, because that's really what Stoicism is, is uh, it's virtue ethics. And Kai started to notice that I was actually picking this stuff up really quickly and that I was a good writer. I've always been a good writer for whatever reason. And so Kai said, I think you can do more th- with this book. I know you think you can do more with this book. I think we should co-author this book. And that's where we're at now. We've got uh, 10 chapters that we're now ripping through to present to a pretty prestigious publishing company that I won't name, <laughs> just in case it doesn't work out. Because <laughs> uh, you only get one shot yeah. with these guys, and if they say no, well, then you're doomed. You have to go somewhere else or self-publish. Um, but the we're, we're trying publishing our house. hardest— Say it again?
0: The Mauer Report publishing house? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, and I hope you guys like it. Um, I uh, We're trying really hard to get this in, in front of this publisher and to get them to say yes so that we can, we can deliver what we think is going to be the, the single best, most accessible, and most academically accurate to really ride that line that has ever been released. And that's saying something because there have been, some really great ones. When I talked before about the books within the Stoicism philosophy space that don't do a great job, there I'm talking about within the self-help space. There are definitely some uh, writers within the the more academic leaning uh, book Stoicism philosophy space that that do a great job, uh, and I I wouldn't try to take away from them. But we're we're going to try to make something better than those than those authors have, and I think we're doing it. I'm, I'm really quite excited about it. So the thing that le- led to it was, I guess that I wanted people to come to appreciate stoicism in the same way that I have come to from, from seeing it as this list of actionable things about being resilient, you know, as like somebody who's trying to be more consistent, more resilient, um, more reliable in their life, you know, very superficial stuff. To being someone who really now sees it for what it is, which is this, I mean, it really is a full life philosophy. And I think if I can get it in front of people, and Kai thinks this too, if we can get it in front of people and we can do a really good job in making the concepts accessible and honest, that we can get more people fully committed to Stoicism and not just treat it like this what we call broicism, you know, this idea of (laughs) Stoics have no emotions. And I mentioned earlier Margaret Graver's book, Stoicism on Emotion. I mean, I want you to to imagine how wrong the idea must be that Stoics are emotionless for a woman to write a 400-page, 12-point, single-space, dense book just on emotion and Stoicism. (laughs) Obviously, there's a really big disconnect between what the public thinks Stoicism with a lowercase s is and what stoicism with a capital s is uh, and i think we're going to fix that problem with this book
0: so i i've got to do this because i looked at the clock and i've got another question if i don't do it right now we're going to run out of time uh, where can people find you the book the podcast you know
1: uh, stoicismpod.com for the podcast tannercampbell.net for me the dot com is taken by some clever coder who got my domain name gosh darn it uh so tannercampbell.net I am not on Twitter, I am not on Facebook. I <laughs> Glassbox wants me on TikTok. So I have a TikTok account at Stoicism Pod. But if you just search my name, Tanner Campbell, uh next to Stoicism or next to Podcast, or if you just search Stoicism Podcast, I am you're gonna find me. I'm really easy to find. And if you ever want to reach out to me, I am Tanner at Nosages.com.
0: So like I said, we've got about mm, six and a half minutes left. So I want to jump off into a I'm going to hit the weeds with you for a second. I promised okay. I wasn't going to do this, but I'm going to do this. I'm going to end your career here tonight. You mentioned mentoring okay. right. a several mm-hmm. times. Can you go, can you give me a few minutes about how powerful that is for people? Because I don't. Th- I think we often overlook how powerful it is to have those conversations with somebody who knows and somebody. You know, those. On, we 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 talk about podcasting, right? It's the same thing, right? Where you can get lost in yourself.
1: Hmm. The Stoics actually talk about this a lot, so I, I hope I'm not going to bore anybody with this, but the, the name Stoicism, it really could have been called, you could have been called a Zeni, a xenologist or something, a, a xenoist, because Zeno was the founder of the school, and it was usually, for example, Aristotelians are students of Aristotle, so it's, it's usually common that the name of the philosophy, at least at that time, carried the name of uh, carried the name of the creator, and I think the name would have been Zenonians, which is what they were known as for a very brief amount of time. And they decided that that was bad because it put the value of the philosophy, it, it put it on the shoulders of the founder, as if that was what was important. And so we don't want to do that. Um, so we're going to be we're going to call ourselves the Stoics because we meet among the Stoa, uh, which is we can think of it as the marketplace Uh, and we engage with people and people can hear us when they walk by and we're out in the open. And so they were really big about making sure that their uh, philosophy for lack of a better term, and I'm sorry, wasn't closeted, that it would, that it was exposed. And they did that for a couple of reasons. And probably the biggest reason was that they believed in the value of, uh, I don't know that they would have called it mentorship. That's probably a fairly modern word, but they believed in the power of, discovering things through discussions with people who had different views. Uh, So Stoicism was able to be improved over time, as probably any philosophy is, by having conversations with other people who asked tough questions or who thought maybe you were wrong and sometimes you were. And sometimes those tough questions were important. Uh, So the Stoics in general, both modern and traditional, are really big on the idea of... Um, of mentorship because it's, it's a, it's an absolute requirement. How are you going to learn anything if you don't talk to somebody else who's doing it? And the person doesn't necessarily have to be a genius or they don't even have to be better than you. <laughs> they can be exactly as terrible as you are at podcasting or stoicism or painting or whatever it is. And it's just about getting into the frame of mind of having discussions about the thing you like or are interested in. Because if you're by yourself, you're just going to validate all your opinions. But if you're with somebody else, they're going to challenge you and you're going to be talking about it. In in stoicism, we journal a lot. And uh, I have a journaling program that I just launched. And the reason I launched it was because journaling is nothing special. But what it does is it sits you down and it makes you focus on the thing that you're trying to get better at. Whereas if you didn't do that, you'd never be focusing on the thing that you were trying to get better at. And the same thing with mentoring if you're not having conversations with people who know a little more than you, or even know who know as much as you, how you're not spending any time in the thing you're trying to get better in. This is challenging to find a mentor because we have words like guru and mastermind classes. And there is a cesspool of people who they are fucking terrible. Sorry. No, you're good. And they, you're hundred percent accurate with that. <laughs> they're just, they're, they're making money and it's, and it's nothing wrong with making money. That's an indifferent. Uh, we won't dive into that, but if sometimes they're making money when they don't know what the hell they're talking about and they're either too stupid to know they don't know what they're talking about or they're disingenuous and they know that they don't know, but they know you're a sucker and we live in this very commercialized, very capitalist world where I mean, it's, it's just easy to stand up a consultancy or a Mentorship programming, anybody can do it with with just even a little bit of internet savvy. It's hard to know who to trust. So yes, I think mentorship is incredibly important. Stoicism, podcasting, whatever it is. It's just, it's. I understand why people feel averse to it. And I don't think they're averse to the idea. I think they're averse to being taken advantage of. And I think that's why, like you were saying, maybe we can have a hard time sometimes convincing people that they should invest in it. Uh, why should I spend, you know, $60, 200 $300 of my money to spend two hours with some guy or some girl? Um, they're probably just trying to make money. And if they really care, the part that really gets me is if they really cared about teaching people, they would do it for free. <laughs> Which is, I have to say, and put myself on blast, uh, philosophers did definitely think that. Uh, and there is a commoditization of philosophy today that is unfortunate uh i guess but i'm part of it and i think i'm part of it because i need to make a living like anybody else does but i'd like to make it doing something honest there are a lot of ways to make money doing something dishonest and i suppose i'm just not stoic enough to put on a tunic and uh go live in the streets and preach at the stoa forgive me for that but mentoring yes
0: well i mean there's the difference between uh making a living and making a living off one sucker
1: Mm. or a hundred suckers well
0: yeah (laughs) well you know we have we have we're gonna go with one okay tanner so i've enjoyed a nice conversation we've got about a minute left so i have this question that i've been wrapping up the shows with now for about six months so i hope you're ready go ahead what's your favorite breakfast
1: oh man oh that's easy uh anybody in denver will know this place it's called denver omelets
0: no wait (laughs) No, no, no. It's called El
1: Taco de Mexico. It is on the corner of 7th and Santa Fe in the art district. It has been around for maybe 20 or 30 years. Uh, and it's a hole in the wall, family owned, traditional, whatever that means, traditional Mexican restaurant that just, their tacos are amazing. Their, what we call as Americans breakfast burritos are amazing. Uh, it, their cow tongue, their cow head, like every, everything they have there, it's a, it's a full spread menu of traditional mexican dishes and they are just oh my god it's so good it's a hole in the wall and it's not fancy and you maybe you wouldn't take your date there but it's gosh when you leave there you're like oh man i am full in a food way and i'm full in like a soul way here's an atheist saying soul again uh (laughs) it's just such a good place it's my, my favorite favorite breakfast favorite place to eat period
0: sounds good well thank you my friend like i said I appreciate you hanging out with me tonight. Any last words real quick?
1: No, I mean, I would love to have anybody be a listener. If they'd like to, go to stoicismpod.com. And if you ever want to email me with stoicism or philosophy questions, tanner at com.
0: So we've got outro music starting in about five seconds. Hang out with me for 30 seconds as it plays. I've got a question for you off the air. Sure. Good night, everybody. It's the yeah, the
1: <laughs> what do you do, Blog Talk Radio?
0: Thank you for joining us. It's been a good show tonight. I hope you enjoyed it. Take a few moments, subscribe, share, all the fun stuff. You know how to do it. I don't have to tell you. Just uh, be ready for next week. It'll be sooner than you think.